Are you Invictus? Clint, are you Invictus? Are you Invictus? What does it mean? You know, when I started the Invictus My podcast, uh, you know, my goal was to unite a bunch of people who had a similar ideology or uh, similar characteristic traits. Invictus means unconquerable. So it's an, an old uh, Greek word for it means unconquerable. Unconquerable. It, honestly, just be totally honest. It was a it was a new concept to me. I had to Google it when you sent it to me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do my best. Tell me about what the show. What what is, what is your audience looking for? Tell me. This is your first time here. This is the number one program dedicated to helping individuals maximize their potential and truly become unconquerable. Here we have discussions about what it takes and what it means to experience and magnify political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. Yes, I would absolutely say that. I'm going to keep getting up, right? And I keep getting up and I keep pushing forward. And that's the type of mindset that you need to have. I, I never lose hope. I never lose faith. My mindset has always been, if I want something, I don't give up. So let me tell you what is the number one issue when it, when it comes to being unconquerable. Okay. And the number one word you have to think about here is not intelligence, not savvy, not strength, none of those things. The number one thing is resilience. You know I'm Invictus, come on. All right, I'm Invictus AF. Well, may I have an initiation question for my tribe. Okay. Are you Invictus? I believe I am. So yes, I agree. I am Invictus. I totally agree, man. And and I think that if there's anybody on this planet that's unconquerable, it's probably me. I am not the type to take orders, and I am definitely in a position that uh, I can I can stand up for myself right now. So. And I was like, no way! I know what that word means now. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Very cool concept for a show. Uh, you didn't ask me if I was Invictus. How are you doing, Kayla, today? Good. How are you? Great, great. I want to thank you for coming on the Invictus Mind podcast. I invite you on because we connected, and I'm going to give a little uh, uh, plug here for the podmatch.com website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that website. And so I, I've been able to connect with a lot of great uh, people who are already podcasters or who are, who are actually guests on other podcasts. And when I came across your profile, Kayla, I really appreciated some of the things that uh, you had on there. Uh, I understand that you're a full-time mother, you're an entrepreneur, you run two podcasts. I'm going to let you actually share your own story just so the audience get to know you a little bit, and then we're going to dive into it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I am a full-time mom. I have a six-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter, and I have been kind of in that entrepreneur lifestyle I feel like since I graduated, I've been running my own cosmetology business for the last eight years, but then I really wanted to dive into podcasting because I love what I'm doing, but I just wanted more. And I got really passionate about podcasting and just that true crime genre. That genre is kind of like a love-hate obviously. It's very sad. I wish it wasn't a genre, but I also think it's interesting to look into the psychology and it's also good to get these stories out there. So that's why I started podcasting and I launched that podcast in July of 2021. So less than a year ago. And I feel like it's done really well. I have enjoyed it, seeing the growth and just learning the podcasting world. We've done a lot of cool things over there that I'm like proud of because 
Yes, like any other true crime podcast, we do tell true crime cases, of course. But then we've also done a little extra where I've been able to interview with victims' families. I've been able to interview someone who was wrongfully convicted for 20 years. I've interviewed survivors and experts and just you know, people who can bring in more knowledge on these cases and just the true crime world. So I think that's been a fun little bonus that people can actually really enjoy and like gain an education because I do think you have to be careful in the genre. So and then I just loved podcasting so much that I decided to start my own little like baby network and Mm. just start a second show under that. So I'm running both of them. I have two different co-hosts on each. On the True Crime Exposed, it's my mom because I just grew up watching Dateline with her all the time. And then with this second one, it's one of my best friends from Alaska. So and that's just more of a casual show. We interview people. We just kind of talk about any subject. Nothing's off limits. And it's kind of a nice little breather from the true crime. It's a good palate cleanser for people. And yeah, so that's kind of how I got into all of this. Super busy, but like I love that entrepreneur lifestyle just mm-hmm. following your dreams so yeah you know some of my audience is probably already podcasters themselves it seems like over the last two years we added probably a million more podcasters at least in the united states <laughs> right <laughs> if not worldwide um, I know. so i definitely wanted i want to address a little bit about your experience and interest in podcasting maybe some of the things that uh, are challenges for those who are interested in that and entrepreneurism mm-hmm. but uh I'm from Chicago, and so there's a lot of crime history in my neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. So I think that we might have uh, some some stories to share here. So, you know, I got yeah. started in podcasting uh, about uh, right before the pandemic, uh, at the beginning of 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had just been uh, taught by a, by a mentor that, uh, you know, times are going to be changing. We don't know what the catalyst is going to be, but uh, you better start learning some alternative methods of income and having multiple streams and, and developing new skill sets. So I had been listening to podcasts for uh, probably about two years prior to that. And mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I listen to, I, you know, they're just regular average people, but they have great stories. And, uh, you know, you, you see their progression from the time they start till now, like three or four years later and how much mm-hmm. they've developed. For yeah, you, you, absolutely. you had an interest in podcasting. Was there any kind of particular shows that you listened to that said, hey, you know, what? I really can relate to this style. Uh, maybe I want to go ahead and do that. So I started off in the podcasting world with true crime. So obviously okay. that's kind of where I went with it. Um, I first started listening to Cold, which is a it was out of Utah, a podcaster out of Utah who I believe was like a journalist or on the radio. And he it's just one case, but it's like 20 episodes long. And he did an awesome job. And it's the case of Susan Cox Powell for people that might know it. It's pretty like infamous. And he did like the most incredible job. And I was like, what is this? Like, I have never listened to a podcast and this is so cool. And from there, I just loved it. So I kind of got it in my mind at that point. And then it just snowballed from there. Now, would you listen to that podcast like on the way to work or when you were doing chores at home? How, How were you listening to podcasts at the time? I listened to podcasts everywhere. So from when I started that to now, I listen to podcasts when I exercise, when I'm cleaning, when I'm in the car. I also, like I said, I run, I do do a cosmetology business. So I do lashes a lot, like Mm -hmm. eyelash extensions. It's kind of funny, but 
I'm just sitting there with people all day, like eight hours a day, one-on-one. And so we listen to podcasts together. Some people love crime. Some people love like motivational podcasts, kind of like this one, interview podcasts and whatnot. So that's kind of where I really expanded is because I'm listening to them with different people all day. So I kind of let them choose and it's fun to hear all the different kinds that are out there. Yeah, it's a great format. I mean, you see people with the earbuds in all the time now. If you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're running, you're exercising, you're working, you can if you if you have an office job, you sit in there typing on a computer, you can just listen to something. Me, I listen in my car. I do a lot of sales calls on my job. Mm. And so I'll just listen uh, sometimes I'll drive 45 minutes or an hour somewhere and I'll just listen to a podcast all the time. So Yeah, perfect time to listen. <laughs> But uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you podcast the True Crime Exposed podcast uh, with mm-hmm. your mom, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you had an interest in, in crime stories growing up. You, you watched Dateline, you said? <laughs> yes. So like my mom and grandma were totally into like, you know, the murder mystery shows, especially Dateline. We're obsessed with Keith Morrison. He's like our okay. hero. So <laughs> we, I, when I was thinking of people that I could do this with, I just thought, my mom would be great because she's the one who I've been watching this with the whole time. She's she's smart, you know, so I asked her to do it with me. And surprisingly, she said yes. So here we are. <laughs> now, now, how did that go down? You just say, Mom, I'm going to do a podcast and I want you to be on it with me. And here's a microphone. Yeah, I was like, Mom, I'm I think I'm going to do a podcast. I don't know. If she fully believed me. It kind of took me a while from the time I got it in my brain to like actually doing it and it's because i had so much to learn like i i just jumped into it right so i knew nothing i ordered wrong equipment you know like i did a lot of different things that were not right and just kind of learned so i think she was like sure i'll do it with you and then i don't know if she was actually expecting it to like be a real thing like be (laughs) something that i was like really gonna get into (laughs) sure sure and now you are, you mentioned in your profile that uh, you do all the research, you do all the writing, and mm-hmm. now you're recording with your mom. And then I guess you have to do the post editing and everything. That must take a lot of time to, to get through all that. Yes, I definitely feel like I have like a second full time job in podcasting on top of my full time job running my other cosmetology business. So it's been a lot of work. I I keep thinking if I can wake up at 5 a.m. every day, my life would go so smooth. But that's a work in progress. All of us probably want to join that 5 a.m. club. But sure, sure. Um, yeah, it's super busy. It The research and writing is what takes me the longest. That probably takes me somewhere between like eight hours and 15 hours, depending on the case, just because you have so much to read and so much to write. You know, it ends up being around 20 pages, a full episode. And so it's a ton of work, but it's also work that I love and that I'm passionate about. And I'm sure. passionate about the victims in the stories. So I think that makes it easier because it's like, well, yes, this is hard, but they deserve it and they don't have the chance to be here. And like, what is mm. it for me to, you know, put these hours into looking at their story and sharing it? So that makes it easy. So that's interesting. So now I understand that uh, you were you live in Idaho or you you were born in Utah, so out, out west in the mountains, right? Yep, yep. Out okay. here in the nature, the mountains. <laughs> it's beautiful country out there. I'm from the Midwest and so I live in a concrete jungle. 
Yeah, right. In Chicago, it has to be so fun, though. I've never actually been to Chicago, but I love a city. I always used to think I would live in a city, but my husband would die. So we <laughs> we do not. <laughs> well, you know, I understand where you're coming with that. Uh, the city life is fun. I actually live in the West Suburbs, so it's not as fast paced as, as an actual downtown city. But uh, the older I get, the farther away I want to move from the city. So, <laughs> right. Yes. You're like, OK, this is enough. But, but now what's, what's interesting, the reason I was asking that is because um, I, I'm kind of wondering where you get your, your stories from, because here in Chicago, every single day, you're going to learn about four or five different murders on TV wow. and the news or whatever. You know, there's always something yeah. bad going on. But, you know, I, I'm not sure if life is different out you know, out west somewhere, out in the country, in a more rural area. What do you what do you find the stories for your research? Yeah, so we're definitely not hearing about like four to five murders a day. We, there was just one actually here in Idaho Falls the other day, and that was like shocking that there was a body found behind like a gym. Everyone's like, "This is Idaho Falls. Let we don't, you know, this is scary." So, no, we're not hearing about it every day. But I. I get cases from different places. A lot of cases I've heard of. So there are cases that are infamous that I do like to share, even though a lot of other people may have shared them. Mm -hmm. Just people like to hear them. They like to like see more information about them. If you listen to different podcasters, you're going to get a little bit of different information with okay. each one. So like I've listened to the same story on multiple podcasts and whatnot. And I always enjoy finding out more like as I go through different podcasts, but the ones that are not known and are the ones I'm really passionate about, I found either through looking things up myself. So I one of my very first missing person cases that I had never heard of and was really mind-boggling to me, I found it just by scrolling on the Charlie Project website. And that's okay. a project that is dedicated to missing people, cold cases, cases that you know are not getting a lot of attention, whatnot. So they put all the information up there on the Charlie Project. So I just kind of scrolled through and I found one that kind of stood out to me. And I looked into it. I'd never heard of it. That's a really good way. Or you can look up missing people in a specific state. And there okay. are a lot more than you think. You just scroll through and there's tons of missing people and so many stories that are not being talked about. So that's how I found a lot of those. And then there's family who have reached out to me. So mm -hmm. and that has been mainly through social media. So like okay. I said, I've interviewed with victims, families and so I've really connected with those people via social media. And it's the same with those people where their their loved one's story doesn't have a lot of exposure. That's why they're asking for it to be shared. So it's been really interesting talking with those people. And I, I'm most passionate about doing those ones where the family's really wanting it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting to me because I'm always wondering how does a case become a high profile case and get national news? Because obviously, you know, you and I live about a thousand miles away from each other. Mm -hmm. I'm aware of some of the bigger cases that happen out there. But, you know, like you just mentioned before, you don't you know, you don't know about all the cases that happen here in Chicago. How, do, how does a case become national news? How, how does it get that, that kind of exposure? Well, so it can be kind of a loaded question, right? Because a lot okay. of people feel that a case is going to get exposure because of what people like to call like missing white woman syndrome or if it's like a white person that is um, has a lot of money. So like that really came to fruition 
people really noticed it last year when Gabby Petito went missing. And that's on the forefront of my mind because we did a mini sode on her because she went missing and she was found right here in Grand Teton National Park, which is Mm. like 40 minutes north of me. She was found on the Wyoming side, but, you know, Grand Teton's right here. So when I heard she might be right there, I was like, we're going to just release a quick episode, let people know that this girl is missing here. And now, actually, this week, I'm doing the full update now that the case was closed this year. But, you know, you do have to mention in those cases, like, yes, like we also care about these other people, even though, you know, her story got so much attention. I still do have to do an update because I already covered her case and I didn't finish it fully because we didn't know uh. what happened to her. But a lot of people do feel and I think it is proven that that is the case. I'm I'm not sure if it's. they go high profile because of society or because of the media or a combination of both. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be the case a lot of the time. Um, So I don't I don't know what we can really do to change it. I try to change it by covering cases all over Um, that missing person case I found in California. The one I um, said I had never heard of that I found on the Charlie, the Charlie Project website that was like a missing black man and his case is actually really really interesting his name's michael darnell bell jr yet no one has ever talked about his case i've never seen it anywhere it was Hmm. super hard for me to find info but his case is just like the case of maura murray if you've ever heard of her it's a super high profile case and they went missing in very similar circumstances like out of their car on the side of the road whatnot and her case everyone's obsessed with Hmm. his case has never been talked about so i do see that and i do think that is sometimes what plays a role in a case becoming high profile or just the insanity of a case like over okay. here the the valo case is going on the valo daybell case i'm not sure if you've heard no, of, that heard one. of that one it's um they it's a, was a super big case like last year they're getting charged next year but they killed this woman's kids and a bunch of her ex-husbands and it you should look it up because they claim that they're mormon actually. Mm. And it really frustrates my mom because they're really not, but they go on this huge tangent and yeah, it's just very interesting. And their story is so insane that it doesn't seem true. And so that's why that one got so high profile because people are like, how is this happening? You know, sure. sure. You, you mentioned Mormon, obviously you and I uh, have a similar background. Uh, um, you know, I am, I am a member of the Mormon church mm-hmm. and it's very prominent out there in Utah and Idaho. I know a lot of people from that area. Oh yeah, but, uh, I've lived in the Midwest my whole life, and my wife and I, uh, you know, she's from the Midwest, and so, you know, we don't have a lot of exposure to the the Mormon culture out west. Yes. But uh, one of the things that um, we watched on Netflix the other day was uh, the, a, mur- a murder among the Mormons. It was the case of Mark mm-hmm. Hoffman, and she found that fascinating. And I, I and I was familiar with that story. That happened, of course, like almost forty years ago now. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then I think was it John Benet Ramsey? Is that another case out there? Yes. That she was a Mormon. They were a Mormon family as well. I am not sure if they were Mormon. I don't. I that is a huge high profile case. It's not a case I've looked a ton into. I've heard okay. stuff randomly here and there, so I'm not sure if they were Mormon. But yeah, I have. I've listened to a podcast that covered that documentary, The Murder mm-hmm. Among the Mormons, and. I was like, I don't know what this is. Like, I'm just going to try to listen to it. My husband, like, 
he doesn't want to hear anything negative about it, whether we go or not, you know? So I was like, I'm not sure if this is going to be like a negative thing. And it wasn't, it, it was actually very interesting. Sure. Like you said, like I was fascinated by just kind of how that all went down. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, when you have a high profile case, it seems like everybody's talking about it, but uh, you must do a good service. You mentioned before how, you know, you, you know, you're talking to families or, or uh, families of victims, you know, obviously if there was mm-hmm. a murder involved or something like that. And I, I'm assuming that you can give them some closure or some, you know, hey, I want to get this story out because it'll help me, you know, get some kind of weight off my chest. I don't, I don't know exactly how a, a family of a victim would feel. Mm-hmm. I can't say that if anything bad like that horrific happened to my family, I'd want the whole world to know about it. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, are, what are these families telling you? So most of the families that I've worked with are usually families that are looking for answers. Mm-hmm. So my the very first family I worked with, I'm pretty sure was in the case of Stephen Augustine. And this was a guy who was beaten in New York and ended up having his skull sunk in and he lived for two years. Mm. So the guy who beat him, but he lived in the hospital. So he never came out of the hospital once he was not himself. You know, he had a breathing tube, but he was just alive, but not really. And he, his the person who beat him had gone to jail while he was in the hospital only for three months. Really? So his mom was very frustrated at that in the first place. And then Steven ends up dying as a result of his injuries and being in the hospital and whatnot. However, the police department will not, they're not being very diligent about bringing charges again against this guy now that Steven has died. And what they keep saying is that if you only hit someone one time, then it's not murder. Mm. So his mom was really reaching out to me to say, can we get this story out there? It needs more exposure. The police need more pressure because whether you hit someone one time or 50 times and their skull is crushed in and they end up dying, you are responsible for their murder, which she believes Stephen was hit far more than one time and his injuries prove that. So she's just really wanting help. She's wanting someone who can help to hear the podcast or just his story to be spread further because usually when a story gets bigger, that's when police and law enforcement really have that pressure that they They need to do something more. Yes. And it's the same with a few other cases I've done where it's just families looking for answers. There's, you know, one lady I worked with, her sister and her niece went missing. They pretty much know who did it, but they want pressure on that girl's ex-boyfriend and his family to feel like people are looking for answers. So that maybe something will come of it or maybe someone will hear and have a tip. Maybe someone will hear and be moved to say something. So that's usually what families are looking for. I feel like when there's closure in a case, you're less likely. I think at that point, a lot of the times the families just want to grieve. I'm not sure that they necessarily want to, you know, go back into it. It's usually people wanting answers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting you say that. Now, a lot of my audience will have a libertarian per, uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. And when, when, I, when I say that, you know, criminal justice comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who are just appalled by the criminal justice system and, and, and people who are you know, slipping through the cracks or, or cases that go unsolved or, or sometimes even uh, somebody who is not guilty, uh, you know, yep. they, they get locked up for, you know, for reasons <laughs> beyond understanding. 
And mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure you've come across all kinds of stories like that. Yeah, the criminal justice system is definitely flawed. And it's so there. I don't even know how to change it, right? Like there's so many reforms that you could do because it just is so imperfect. And you're right. People are slipping through the cracks that shouldn't Mm -hmm. be. And then there's people who are given no second chance that should be, you know, like we're not reforming people. And there's just so much wrong with the justice system. And like you said, people getting locked up wrongfully, that's a huge problem. A lot of times in the justice system, you find these cases where law enforcement for some reason is just so worried about the win instead of being worried about who really did this, you know? So then they're unwilling to question things. They're unwilling to do extra testing. And everyone's just like, why? Like just the whole goal should always be just to find out what happened. So if you got it wrong, you know, admit it. Like it's easy to just be like, Mm -hmm. you know what? I got it wrong. I thought I was doing the wrong right thing. I thought I was putting like a bad person in prison. But when you get it wrong, just admit you got it wrong. That's the very first person I interviewed. He actually was from here in Idaho Falls. He's the first person in the United States to be exonerated using genetic genealogy. And he had actually, yeah, he went to prison for the murder of Angie Dodge, who was murdered here in Idaho Falls, where I live. So I've always Mm -hmm. been very interested in the case because I actually watched it on Dateline in high school. And I wondered to myself, is he innocent or guilty? Because he was being interviewed from prison. And to me, I was like, well, people do not wrongfully confess. Now, I think this is something that society has a hard time realizing is that people can very easily wrongfully confess. We all think, oh, that, that would never happen to us. I could never be convinced to say I murdered someone when I didn't. However, the techniques they use when you're in there for 40 hours of interrogation, they're kind, they really made him feel, and you can see it on the interview tapes that they made him think he forgot that he did it. And he had a lower IQ. He was young. He was 18. He didn't have, you know, he, he just had a lot of things going for him. And one of the cops was actually his school cop. So it's a guy he trusted and they really made him feel like They would tell him in his polygraphs that like, oh, you, you know, you lied right here when he said he didn't do it. Or when he would say he did do something, he was saying that, you know, he was saying what they wanted to hear. They would tell him, oh, yes, like you were being truthful here. And eventually they ended up giving him this deal for immunity if he told them who helped him kill her. So he just does this thinking, oh my gosh, like they're going to give me the death penalty if I don't get immunity is what, you know, if I don't give them what they want. And he ends up telling them none of their DNA matches. So instead of arresting any of the other people that he, you know, talked about because they didn't match, they just said that he was lying. They took the immunity deal off the table. They sent him to prison and he was in there for 20 years before they let him out. Yeah. And they let him out actually before he was exonerated because it became pretty obvious that he did not do it, even though they didn't know who did it. But they only let him out by dropping the rape charge because his semen didn't match. And they actually let him out as a convicted murderer. So then it was hard for him to get jobs. It was hard for him to live in the community. And Mm. eventually they used genetic genealogy, which is, you know, family tree 
connecting DNA and kind of narrowing down who it could be, which is so cool. It's new technology. They're going to be able to solve so many cold cases with it. But they found the guy and it was her next door neighbor. And the cops Mm. had talked to him in the first 48 hours of the investigation. Right, Right. But they got so focused on the wrong person that he was free for 20 years while this other guy spent half of his life in prison. So yeah, the justice system, it yeah. is clearly, it is definitely not perfect. So yeah, we, we can probably go on a tangent. Yes. The criminal justice <laughs> system. I'm thinking of another show. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I'm just going to um, you know plug it out there. Yeah. There's a guy by the name of John Odermatt. He does a show right now. He just recently changed the name of his show. It's called uh, Finding Freedom. But before oh. that, it was called Felony Friday. And he mm-hmm. had a podcast where he would talk about the criminal justice system like you, and he would mm-hmm. go over cases or people who were wrongfully imprisoned or, you know, people who yeah. actually will guilty. He, I remember he interviewed a gentleman who was on death row and he's like, yeah, I did it. And, but it was really interesting, you know, just the perspective that these people have. Yeah, absolutely. Just being kind of in the system and seeing their experiences with it. That sounds so interesting. So I'll tell I'll share this story with you. My mom, um, she worked. Uh, so I live in DuPage County, which is the county right next to Cook County outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And there was a high profile case. I want to say it was in the 90s. You might recognize the name or not, but a, a gentleman by the name of Ro- Rolando Cruz. OK, had, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, so there's all kinds of cases out there, mm-hmm. obviously. But he had uh, apparently or, um, you know, there was a there was a girl who was kidnapped and ended up being murdered, and he was actually incarcerated uh, for twenty years. And my mom was his nurse oh. in the jail. And wow! So, like, he would just have this attitude. He was a he was a mean guy, but he didn't commit the crime. And so, mm-hmm. but she was always nervous talking because like you talk to people like that who are either wrongfully accused or who are you know gangbangers or something like that. And mm-hmm. so she always come home nervous about these people threatening her life. And all she wanted to do is give them vitamins and, and medicine. And stuff yeah, like that. she's like, I'm just working. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it's really interesting, you know, when you get into that that line of work. You know? Yeah, it is, and that is it is nerve wracking, you know, especially if he's in prison for it or you know, he served time for it and she's not sure if he did it or not. That's kind of how people were. Um, I do pretty much all of my interviews remotely, but that man, Christopher Tapp, who was wrongfully convicted since he lives here in Idaho Falls. And that was before I knew a dang thing about podcasting. I actually interviewed him a whole year before I released my podcast. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I actually just had him come to my house and everyone was like, like, are you nervous? And I was like, well, no, he didn't do the murder. He's out. Like he's exonerated. He doesn't want to go back to prison. And they're like, yeah, but you know, like being in jail can like really change you and yada, yada. And he was a great person, but yeah, you know, it puts that stigma on people, even when they didn't do it, where it's kind of like, oh, like, are they scary to talk to? Are they scary to be around? kind of like you said, it's like he didn't do it, but that guy was kind of mean and Mm. like he made her worried. It would probably make me worried too, you know, especially if he's mean. So, right. Well, I mean, at the time, my mom didn't even know that he was innocent. He was still in jail, obviously. Exactly. So So I'd be freaked out for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I I listened to your episode. I think it was your last one that you recorded with uh, the woman's name was Amy Nordhues. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought that was fascinating. And, uh, you know, she, she was an, she's an author and she wrote about her experiences and, and that was, a that was an interesting story. Yes. But, uh, 
It reminded me of a book, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, you know, we can move on to this in this conversation. There's a book by the name of The Gift of Fear. Okay. I the haven't read it. The author's name is Gavin DeBecker. Okay. The reason why I bring that up is I, I don't remember how I was turned on to it, but uh, there is a, an FBI agent who, oh. or he was affiliated with the FBI somehow. And what he would do is he would go around and uh, look at the psychology of all these crimes out there. Mm-hmm. And the gift of fear is talking about, uh, you know, we don't want to, we never want to do any kind of victim blaming or anything like that. But, right. but what the idea, the concept of the book was that when somebody is in your presence, there, you know, you have some kind of intuition. You, there's red flags that go up. There, there's, uh, there's things that you look back on after the fact and you're like, oh, I wish I would have acted differently. Right. Right. And it reminded me of, of that interview you mm-hmm. did. And so, you know, when you when you talk about victimology, is there a, a pattern that you're finding in some of these stories where, you know, again, not victim blaming, but hey, these people all kind of got themselves in a situation where if they would have done something different, you know, they would have had different results. Yeah, well, that's that is really kind of like Amy was saying, like a huge part of being a victim, especially an adult victim of someone like an adult victim of sexual abuse or an adult victim of abuse. These people, of course, it's not their fault at all. And looking back, like Amy said, it's just like, oh, I did see that red flag, but I was able to push it down. And a lot of times it's because like she explained, they feel worthless or they feel like this person has more power than them or, you know, they have some sort of kind of fear of that person or I don't know. They just see them as more than them and they feel like they're not able to speak up or say Mm -hmm. something. And that is why, you know, people are so victimized and then wonder like, was like, why, like, how did that happen to me? And it's not their fault at all. It's because these people know and can kind of read out when they're able to play on your weakness. Like Mm -hmm. Amy, she was a victim of sexual abuse her whole life. That's why she was in therapy. And then her therapist was able to know that was her weakness. He knew how to prey on her weakness. So even though looking back, she sees all the signs and sees how she thought those were red flags, but pushed them to the back of her mind. Like that was hard for her to overcome. Like that's kind of it's like they're still victimizing you after the fact because you're mm-hmm. wondering, how did this happen to me? Like, why did I let this happen? Yet they didn't let it happen, but they were like truly manipulated. And yeah, that is that happens all the time. That's yeah, I would I would suggest oh, oh, well, maybe that's no. the wrong word. I would say that probably a show like yours who are actually talking to to real victims, maybe your audience or people in the audience might actually find the courage or the the reason to you know maybe they were victims themselves right and you know hey i like this story i like this episode a similar thing happened to me and now we have more people coming out and saying you know this is wrong we got to catch this this guy or this this perpetrator or something like that yeah yeah i was so happy to talk with amy for that reason just because i am sure there are other adults out there who have been victimized that feel the exact same way as Amy. And I think hearing her talk through it would be like very helpful to them, even if they're not victims specifically of therapist sexual abuse like her. They even just a victim of domestic violence is mm-hmm. a, an adult victim who keeps being victimized. So I thought her story was so interesting. It was actually the first episode I did of that specific 
sort. She was the first survivor I've talked to and kind of just the first person I've put the whole interview out there. Normally I tell a case story and I use, you know, the families or the wrongfully convicted. Like I use their interviews dispersed throughout the episode just to help me tell it. And my interview with her was so great. I was like, she is the best at telling her own story. So I just put the whole interview out there. And yeah, I think she she's like was really special and did a great job. Like you said, kind of by talking about it, then other people feel like this is normal and this wasn't Mm -hmm. my fault because I think that is how most adult victims feel like, oh, well, I stayed with my husband and like, that's why he kept beating me, you know, and it's like, no because your husband sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's not your yeah. fault. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's you, really good to talk about. What I find the most interesting about like true crime stories is I, I'm really into psychology and how the human mm-hmm. you know, mind works and you know what, what drives a person to become a, uh, an offender or uh, a predator is probably a better mm-hmm. word. And, you know, and, and what kind of pe- what kind of things would make a person become a prey again? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a touchy subject, right? You never want to blame the victim. But again, I love that book because there always are things that you can identify, you know, mm-hmm. whether you have the courage to come out and say, that's not right. Maybe I should have thought about that. But when somebody's acting really strange or super nice or, or, or you know, when you meet a stranger for the first time, you know, <laughs> red flags should almost automatically come up. And, and, and this author says that you have intuition, you know mm-hmm. what's right and what's wrong. But most of the time you don't act on it. And, yeah. A lot of times I think we justify it in Mm -hmm. um, like, you don't want to be rude to people and, you know, and it's always like, yes, be rude. Yes. Like stand up for yourself. It's hard for me too, though. I always want to be nice, you know, to anyone, even if they're kind of rubbing me the wrong way, like I don't want to hurt their feelings. And that's kind of the mindset that, you know, hopefully we can change and let people know it's okay. Like if you need to hurt someone's feelings to get out of a weird situation. Now, um, I know you mentioned that you uh, you interviewed a person uh, in person at your home who was wrongfully cl- convicted. But uh, in your research for other cases, have you found yourself like in any other scary situations, or are you the kind? Maybe you're the kind of person like me. If I was doing your job, I would want to go do my own research and go on the scene and check it out. Have you done anything like that? So most of the cases I've done are not from, you know, right around me. But with that okay. case that was in Idaho Falls, I did actually drive by. Um, on the street where she was murdered. And I knew at that point that it was her neighbor who had done it because he was arrested. He wasn't quite convicted yet. But so I looked up both addresses and I drove by where she was murdered just because I wanted to see how far away this neighbor was that murdered her. I don't know why, but like for me, it's just like, how close could someone be? You know, I'm kind of into the psychology, like you said, too, and just trying to figure out why people do this. It's very hard to try to differentiate differentiate between nature versus nurture versus, mm-hmm. you know, people who kind of show the signs and people who live these double lives. So I just wanted to see like, where did he live? Where did she live? And yeah, it did. I think it's good to kind of see things like that, like be right in it when you're looking into a case like this and just feel like, I don't know, like, it kind of makes you a little more passionate when you're right there, you know, Mm -hmm. on the scene. And it was like sad. It like gave me an eerie feeling, you know, like kind of looking at his house and her house. And yeah, yeah. it just like made me even more passionate about her and her story. And 
yeah, he was right across the street. And it's just crazy that he was let off for 20 years. So, yes, in other cases, I have not done that because I'm not living in all these places. But yeah, sure. I do try to do very in-depth research. I try to look up, you know, you kind of see case photos and whatnot. Sometimes that's not the best thing for your psyche to look at the photos. But somehow I'm always find myself looking at things and then being like, nope, I should not have done that. But, you know, when you're trying really to understand the crime, it's hard not to kind of right. look at every piece of evidence you can find. You know, what's interesting is uh, we mentioned uh, I'm from Chicago and mm-hmm. uh, we have a history of, of, uh, of gangs here in Chicago, obviously, going back to El Capone. And, and uh-huh. so I, I don't know if it's just my morbid curiosity, but, you know, I would go I would find out where El Capone's hideout was. And there's a place not too far from where I live now. And you go, hey, this is where that guy, you know, he hid over here. Or, or if you're familiar with the movie Casino. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's a true story. The guy's name was uh, uh, Tony Spilotro. And uh, I, I only mentioned that name because one of my friends, actually uh, an older gentleman uh, by now, but he had told me a story about how he had dated that guy's sister, the guy oh, in, mm-hmm. in, from the movie Casino. And so, like, you know, you look at all these you look at all these places and you hear these stories. I'm like, OK, I'm going to you know drive half hour down the road and say, where did this happen? You know, oh, this is where this happened. And, you know, but they're made famous yeah. by movies or, you know, historical artifacts. But like, you're like, wow, this really took place here. And it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And I think that's very normal to have that morbid curiosity. Like very many people who are interested in this stuff, they do want to know. It's not like we like to know because we like it or we like what happened. But yes, there's something interesting about like knowing that happened right here. Like why and how? And it's just it adds to it. Yeah, well, I definitely uh, I'm turned on to your your podcast. Uh, just a couple episodes I heard already was it was really fascinating to me because it, it does satisfy that morbid curiosity. <laughs> well, thank you, I appreciate it. But you know, uh, I was also wanted to talk about you know you mentioned that you have a, a baby network. I don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I just wanted when I was thinking about starting like a second show, I thought you know what I I do want to kind of do my own little network where I'm running these shows under this network, right? So eventually, maybe one day I can add more shows, maybe that I'm not the host of or, you know, just adding in other shows to it. I'm very new to the podcasting world. That's why I call it a baby network because it's not like I started this network and I'm like, yes, I have all these shows. It's just me. It's just my shows that I've created. Mm -hmm. So, but it's just kind of my little start of my umbrella. I would love to grow that umbrella because of course, like we talked about earlier, like that entrepreneur mindset, like I plan on truly doing this as a career. So I wanted to just get the ball rolling. And I had talked with um, this lady who's been doing some accounting for me, just getting everything situated. And she said, the easiest way, if you know you're going to do it a certain way, you might as well just start with doing it. And then that way later on, you don't have to change all this tax stuff and whatnot. So even though I'm fresh and new, I was like, I'm just going to start it this way. So yeah, I would love to add one day, you know, some other shows that I connect well with to that network. Like when I'm able to grow and really offer them something, I'm not sure I would offer a ton of people too much at the moment. I could a little bit with, you know, networking and whatnot, but eventually I'd like to get there as my shows grow. I would like to bring in, you know, some smaller shows 
that I enjoy and help them grow and whatnot. So that is my baby network. Well, there you <laughs> it's go. Just you, me. You know, you got to start somewhere. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. you, you know, you just start. Uh, on this show, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, come over obstacles and challenges and, and fears that everybody has. But uh, at the end of the day, you, you just got to start. You just got to do it. If you have a passion for something, if you have a story to tell, and you feel like, you know, people need to hear this story, then why not just grab a microphone and just start? Yeah, absolutely. Like if you feel like you can make a difference and you can, you know, bring some positivity to the world in some way, just do it. It is scary. Like people do have a lot of fears around it, but yeah, I feel that same way. So is your husband supportive of, of this endeavor that you're doing or? Yeah, I think at first he was like, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) I don't understand, but, and it's been a lot of work, but I think he has seen over the last, you know, month since July, since I launched true crime exposed, I think he's seen how hard I'm working at it and how much I've connected with people. And I've, you know, started to grow that show and whatnot. And so, yeah, he, he's actually been really good. He watches my kids 24 seven, our kids, of course, but, and he's always with our kids. So it's just funny to me because he is like Mr. Mom and I love it. So he just helps me out a ton when he's not working. He cooks all my meals for me. So he supports me in like taking care of all my basic needs that I'm not meeting myself. Like, well, that's good because, you know, the life of a a podcaster, you know, Mm -hmm. you you and I probably have the same thought, you know, hey, I'm just going to talk into a microphone and somehow in the back of our mind, we're thinking, oh, maybe I can, you know, be big with this thing, right? You know, not everybody can be Joe Rogan, of course. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there are a lot of times where you're dealing with technology, you're dealing with things that don't record correctly, you're dealing with you know, rescheduling appointments, you're dealing oh, with, yeah. uh, you know, just editing that doesn't work correctly. It, it, it's, you have to have a, a passion for it. Oh, yeah. It is right. not just like, a, I'm going to click record, I'm going to upload this, and I'm done in an hour. That it, Yes, it is definitely something you have to love because it is a ton of work. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it, you know, and, exactly. and, and, and that's the thing. And so, you know, uh, Kayla, as I'm talking here, I, I didn't really prepare you too much about for our show. So I, I, I pre- appreciate the conversation. You know, uh, on this show, I always talk about uh, political freedom and uh, mm-hmm. spiritual freedom and, of course, financial freedom. But I think entrepreneurship and, and having that passion and that drive to do something that you really appreciate does add value to people's lives. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think that uh, in this day and age, you can actually have alternative sources of income. You can actually have, hey, I have this interest, even if it doesn't pan out for anything, you know, I want to do yeah. it anyway, just because some someone somewhere will will hear or will connect with it. And, you know, I'll get that satisfaction that I did that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, yeah, like you said, that is a part of like freedom and, you know, even kind of financial freedom, if you are able to, you know, do it and make it something. And yeah, I think it, you do get satisfaction just from knowing that like, maybe you help someone. Like when people have thanked me for working like with their family or they're thankful for an episode that where, you know, they're, loved one's story hasn't been told yet that is satisfying and it is like i'm doing something good for these people you know and i think that is a part of a good part of life is to you know feel like you're making a difference for somebody else all right all right well kayla you know uh, wrapping up here i just want to uh, sh- let you shout out whatever uh, you need to to have people find your work because like i said 
I really appreciate that what I've heard so far. I'm uh, I, I watch true crime stories on TV sometimes, and, and you know I have all the the gangster books that you know from Chicago. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting it. to hear that the you know it. How can I put this? It's interesting that there's bad things that happen around the world, as bad mm-hmm. as that sounds. <laughs> Because, I know. You know, it's just it's just part of life. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I appreciate that, uh, you know, what, what you've been doing. And so where can people find you if they're interested in that kind of stuff? Um, I am on all podcast platforms, of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there on True Crime Exposed. And then I also have a website. It's www.truecrimeexposedpodcast.com. We have some social media links on there. I've got some links to my episodes in the blog posts. And I am on Instagram at True Crime Expod. I'm on TikTok at True Crime Exposed Podcast. I'm on Twitter everywhere you can find facebook all of that fun stuff all right well if you are into true crime stories then i definitely recommend you check out the uh, true crime exposed podcast and kayla you've been uh, very generous to share your time with me today and so I, i wish you the best of luck yeah you too thanks for having me on